My name's Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Life and want to welcome all those watching online. You can see my face. I can't see your beautiful face, but I'm sure it's beautiful this morning. Uh, we are in a, a series together titled Awaken the Book of Acts. And I told you January that this is a series that our church will be in for probably three years, if not five years. And uh, I want to warn you that here we are, September, and we are only getting into Acts chapter 5 now, right? We got to go all the way to 27, by the way, (laughs) just so you know. But I hope you've enjoyed this series as we look. I think God has given us this book, and we have a glimpse into what the early church is doing, the actions of the early church, And I love that because we get a glimpse of a move of God and what this Jesus movement is doing and how you and I should also look like that. And I love the book of Acts. In fact, it's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible is the book of Acts because you see the spirit move and you see the people of God become awakened, hence the title Awaken. So if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, turn with me to the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament. It's Acts. Uh, this is, remember, is a continuation from the author Luke who wrote the gospel Luke, right? The gospel meaning the good news of Jesus Christ. He continued to write and uh, it would have been one massive giant scroll. We, it, to understand it greater, we've broken it up into two. We broke it up to Luke and then Acts, and so this is just his continuation. We, I've titled this message, Holiness, Hypocrisy, and Spiritual Danger. Not the greatest title to get everyone excited about. But what I'm excited about this morning is that we're preaching God's word. And sometimes God's word is hard to preach. But it's the right thing to do. So let me put a blanket statement out. Whether you call this your church home or whether you're new and still checking us out, this, today's message is a startling one. I don't want to just skip over parts of the Bible that I struggle with. I want to be a person that eats the entire word of God and get in the word so the word gets into me. Today's message is startling and I'll be honest. It may be unsettling to some of us. This text, I think, is a warning for us. I think we live in a day where God, honestly, God's not taken seriously. You know how we know this? Because sin isn't taken seriously. It's a hard one. But I love you enough to still teach us hard things. So turn to your neighbor and say, Pastor Ryan loves you. Turn to your other neighbor and says he loves you more. No, I'm kidding. Don't say that. (laughs) I prayed that the Spirit would convict us this morning. We know the voice of condemnation is not of God, but conviction is. Conviction is lovely because it leads us to the path of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going for this morning. In fact, I, I, before I, Pastor Josh, I don't know if you were around in the office at the time, but I turned to our, our staff before I went and studied and I go, um, got any advice before I go study this portion of scripture? And uh, the, the advice I got was from Pastor Brandon. He said something along the lines of, good luck. Glad I'm not doing that. 
Hmm. Message received. Here we go. Acts chapter 5. Remember, we're in this together, right? We're in this together. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 begins this way. But, what's the first word? We have to know something. Luke is showing us that what happened prior to this is juxtaposed to Acts in this story. Remember, in our Bible, in the original language, in the, when the writers wrote, they did not have chapters and verses. That was later, so you and I can reference spots within God's word easier. So when you read Acts 4, the way it is written, you read it like it's one long story straight into Acts chapter 5. But we have those chapters to break us up. And sometimes we forget that this story, because it's a new chapter, we think it may be a new day or a new whatever. But this is relating to what just happened in Acts chapter 4, what we talked about last week. So let's look real quick at the last two verses in Acts chapter 4 so we understand why Luke put but there. Acts chapter 4 says this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there we have a guy, we looked at this last week, a guy by the name of Barnabas, sells his property and gives it all to the church and the apostles. And then we immediately have, but... Now we're introduced to two new characters that is juxtaposed to the story of Barnabas, who sold it and gave everything to the church. But a man, and now we're introduced to a husband and wife, a man named Ananias, and with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. They are doing exactly what Barnabas did in Acts chapter 4. Barnabas sold property, and so did Ananias and Sapphira. What's interesting here is the meaning of their names. So I want, I'm going to show you the meaning of their names, and remember what their names mean throughout the rest of the story. Because in the ancient world, names meant everything. Here's what Ananias means. Yahweh has shown favor. Remember what the word Yahweh is. It's the sacred name of God. The Jewish people don't say God or Yahweh. It's too sacred. So that's, what, that's where we get, when God revealed himself to Moses for the very first time, this is the name he gives Moses, Yahweh. That's just who I am. So Ananias means God, Yahweh has shown favor. Sapphira means the beautiful one. Let's see if they live into their names. So, Acts chapter 2 tells us, or um, the verse 2 says this. However, he, Ananias, kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here is Ananias and Sapphira. They sell property, but hold back proceeds and gave a certain amount to the apostles. What did Barnabas do? Sell the property, gave everything. These two stories can't be more opposite. The question is, then what's the problem here? Oh, this is going to get good. Here's the problem. Ananias and Sapphira don't have to give it all. 
The problem in this story that we're going to find out is they've developed this scheme over here that they had this desire for everyone to think they're like Barnabas, to think that they went all in with everything that they sold. And they wanted to do what Barnabas did or do, they wanted to impress and be like Barnabas, but didn't want to do what Barnabas did. They didn't want to give everything. And here, this would be the example. Let's say you sold a piece of property for $100,000. And your words were, I'm going to give it all to the church. Okay? So if you say that, what amount of money should come? $100,000, right? You said the proceeds are going to go to the church. But it's like you gave $70,000 to the church and you kept $30,000 over here. Now you've deceived So you didn't say, I'm going to give some of the portion. You didn't say that. You said, I'm going to give the proceeds to the church. And here, this is where Ananias and Sapphira are going to get in trouble. They could have done what they, they could have held back part of it and just say, we're giving a portion of it. The problem is they deceived and lied. They wanted to look like Barnabas, like we gave everything. And they didn't. And the story it goes, and they're, well, here's what they're trying. They're trying to create an impression that is different from reality. How many of us do that with our walk with Jesus Christ? We give an impression that, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student of God's word. I get into God's word. In reality, I probably have to blow dust off my Bible. See, they were given an impression that wasn't matching up with the reality of their heart. And then it continues in chapter three. Ananias, Peter asked. Oh, this gets so good. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Ouch, if you're Ananias. You just said Satan filled my heart. I wonder what Ananias is thinking in the moment. And then I go, how does Peter know this? This is two beautiful things happening here. Number one, Peter is working in the spiritual gift of word of knowledge. How does he know this? The spirit has revealed that to him, right? It's a spiritual gift, the word of knowledge. So we have a beautiful thing. Remember in Acts chapter four, verse 31, what is Peter filled by? He's filled by the spirit in this moment, right? So he's operating out of a gift of the spirit. Secondly, there's an experience that Peter knows, found in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus has a conversation with Peter. This is awesome. Look what it says. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me what, friends? Yikes. This is Jesus telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter is the leader of the disciples. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. See, anything that opposes God is Antichrist. Antichrist, anti-Messiah, anti-Jesus. It opposes the kingdom of God. And what Peter and Jesus is happening here is, hey, your thinking is more human than my kingdom. Get behind me, Satan. Now, was actually Satan in Peter? No, but the idea is you are against my kingdom in this moment. Get behind me. 
And no wonder why Peter can turn to Ananias. I wonder if Peter remembered this moment when he turns to Ananias and he says, why has Satan filled your heart? This is anti the kingdom. You are deceiving and you are lying. Peter's like, no, trust me. Because I know what it's like to be in your shoes. I may call you out, but listen, I had the son of God call me out. And he knows what it's like. See, what's interesting about this word filling here, what this word filling means, it means inspiration and influence of. So Ananias has been influenced by the enemy of your soul. It brings a question during my study time, because this story, man, this story gets weird real quick. During my study time, I'm trying to understand more and more. And what I came across is a lot of theological scholars, biblical scholars out there debate. They don't, we don't actually know if Ananias and Sapphira are believers or not. We're not told those details in the story. We're not sure if they are. But if they aren't, this story makes sense. Right? Of course, unbelievers would be filled by Satan. It makes sense. The question becomes, what if they are believers? What if they are? Could this happen to believers? Please hear me. If you are a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are covered in the blood of Jesus and you are his. Your possession belongs to him, not Satan. A believer, a Christian cannot become demon possessed. You are God's. He has no authority over you. Please listen. He can influence you, though. The language is, it's not demonically, op- not demonically possessed, but demonically oppressed. Where you can be under the influence. You know how we know? You know how many times Paul writes, don't let the devil get a foothold in your life. You know what that means? Don't open the door for him to have influence in your life. You're a child of God. But your and I's actions can cause influence in our life. You can never be claimed his because you are claimed from the king of kings. Listen, you have power and authority over that. You know that. Walk in it. You have power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Whoo! Right? Remember, remember uh, again, these are juxtaposed to each other. At the end of Acts chapter 4, beginning of Acts chapter 5. What in Acts chapter 4, we looked at this last week, what are they filled with? Remember when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. Again, how cool would that be to experience? Probably a little frightening, to be honest. And they were all filled with the whom, friends? Holy Spirit. So you have the people here filled with the Spirit, not lying, not deceiving, giving, giving. They could do what they want, but they have that heart. They're not deceiving. But then you have this that says they're filled with the enemy of their soul. And now they're deceiving the church. There are moments where you and I must be aware that you and I can give the enemy of our soul a foothold in our life. This is why I believe the writer of Proverbs, chapter four, verse 23, says this. Guard, this will say your, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Above everything you do, you must protect this thing right here. 
Different writers will go on to say, for out of the mouth, what flows out of the mouth comes from the heart. We must protect our heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Because out of your heart, that's where influence grows. And don't let the devil get a foothold there. I want to briefly sidetrack for one moment. Can I talk about two things that I think we within the church world allow the devil to get a foothold? Two things. Number one, bitterness. The more I'm in ministry and the more I pastor people, I realize bitterness is a deep root that has grown in our hearts. I love you guys. We need to put some weed killer on that thing. We need to. Here's what (laughs) Paul's writing to Christians, the Jesus movement in the city of Ephesus, where you and I get the letter Ephesians from. He's writing to Christians. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter four. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Question, is being angry sinful? No, it's what you do with that anger. It's what you do with that emotion that can lead down the path of sinning. There's something called righteous anger. We see it when Jesus goes to the temple and he's mad because all the money changers are ripping people off. It's not because there's people selling things. They're selling things there as acts of worship. So you want to go buy a dove? Well, guess what? You've traveled 100 miles to get to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Guess what you're not carrying with you? A basket of doves to go sacrifice. So they're there at the temple so you, we can exchange. The problem is they're ripping you off. That's why Jesus in his righteous anger flips the table. Now, I'm not promoting you to go home and start flipping your tables out of righteous anger. But it says, in your anger, do not sin. Watch this. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. See, anger can be the fuel to sinning. That's why he says, don't sin in it. And who's he writing to? Remember, he's writing to Christians. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a foothold. What I realize is for many of us, I know this. Church hurts are real. A lot of us carry baggage of church hurts. From what has happened at previous things or way back in your life, we carry what we call church Hurts. I'm hearing more and more of our people that are carrying that. And they're real and it hurts. My encouragement to you is don't allow bitterness to grow deep in your heart. Give it to God and keep giving it to God. Because here's what happens. That church or that person, that Christian may have done you wrong. But listen, they are still loved by God. They are still a brother and sister in Christ. They may have messed up. They may have not gotten it right. But God still loves them and sent sent his son, Jesus Christ, for them. Remember that. Here's the second thing. You know what happens? You take your church hurts and you apply it here. You may have been hurt by a lead pastor before, and guess where that emotions can go? Right to me. 
write to me or another staff member or whatever it is. And I'll be honest, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a mistake. No, I'm going to make lots of mistakes. <laughs> but I promise you this. I want to seek God with everything I am and I want the spirit to help me become who I need to become in Jesus Christ. Let's put some weed killer on our church hurts. They're real, but we also need to deal with the hurts. Let's stop rehearsing them and allowing the devil a foothold. Amen? Here's just what James, the brother of Jesus says. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and what, friends? Demonic. Oh, I can't wait to get into a series in October with you guys. Please hear me. There is spirit wisdom and demonic wisdom. There's an unseen realm that you and I cannot see into. The enemy of your soul has demonic people out there, influencers, we call them demons, that will work to crush you and kill you. Remind the enemy he's already a defeated foe in Jesus' name. And we serve a victorious God. But listen, I want to know, can you discern the difference of voice from the Holy Spirit and a demonic voice? Not every open door is a door God wants you to walk through. The door could be open and God could be like, hey, hey, I'm I'm asking you to trust me. Will you trust me enough to walk by it? I know it looks good, but will you trust me? And as soon as you go by that open door, don't worry, I'll slam it and I'm gonna show you the right door to go through. But it's a trust issue. Here's the second one. Bitterness, here's the second one. Please lean in. Turn to your neighbor and say, Ryan loves you. You didn't even convince me. (laughs) I think this is what our culture is up against. It's sexual sin. Sin is, or not sin, sin is not wonderful. Sex is wonderful within the confines of what God ordained it to become. The issue is so many times in our dating relationships, we, we, we desire certain things and those desires are the flesh, not the spirit. I, 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 Eugene Peterson is a pastor. He, he passed away in 2018 and he wrote what we know as the message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. This is what he says. And I'm not gonna stay here long, but I think we need to get this because this is creeping into, teens, please hear me. If you're, the person you are with is leading you more to the bedroom than Jesus Christ, break up with them. Break up with them. This is serious stuff. Serious. And here's what Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase, he says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one, spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. It rips a part of you away leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. 
There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. Is sin, sin? Yes, and it's ugly. However, this sin affects your body like other sins don't. This is the sin you and I, as Paul writes, you and I are to flee from this one. Strong language. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of Holy Spirit? You are a temple if you're a Christ follower. Your body housed the presence and spirit of God now. And they said, listen, you can't do that. Because God is holy, he's set apart, and sin is ugly and bad, and sin goes against everything who God is. Sin is an attack on a holy God. Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Oh, doesn't our world tell us that? Doesn't it? Do what you want. If it makes you feel good, it must be right. <laughs> no. Um, we would be really messed up people if we all lived that way. Squandering what God paid was such a high price for. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Be careful. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Man, you're deceptive, Ananias. The sin has crept in. Let me ask you a personal question. How's your heart this morning? Deep down, how's your heart? You struggling with things? Are you doing things you know that are opposed to the way of Christ? And you know it. God loves you and he wants to meet you where you're at to say, son, daughter, let me walk with you. We've got a better place to go. How's your heart? Peter continues with Ananias in verse four. He says, wasn't it yours, this land, this property? It was yours while you possessed it. And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? Listen, you haven't lied to people. You've lied to God. Peter's in there going, listen, yeah, you can, you can fake me out all you want. Like, that's fine. But listen, God sees and knows everything. You are not deceiving him. You're trying to impress. You're trying to look. Here is a warning for us. It's easy to be happy with the image of spirituality without the reality of a spiritual life. We may be so good at impressing people to think, oh, I'm a Bible reader. I, I pray. No, you don't. It's just an image. If we really assess ourselves where we are, and I know this can be so difficult in this moment. Teens, you can't live off of your parents' faith. You must own it for yourself. Adults, you cannot live off of the pastor's face and the worship team's faith. Did I say face? That's weird, because I'm sweating. 
just because you have passionate pastors who are on stage spitting everywhere and loves Jesus. Listen, you can't borrow our passion. Find it for yourself. I love you. Just because you go to a church that you feel that God is moving doesn't make you any more spiritual. You gotta own it yourself. Don't use this image. And then I love this. I love this quote. Look at this. You haven't lied to people, but to God. You know what I love about this? There's an amazing quote by a a pastor known as A.W. Tozer. And he talks about Christians lying. Oh, I love this quote. Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. I surrender all. No, you don't. You're still holding on to your calendar and haven't given it over to God. You still make church just an option. When you look at the early church, they were there all the time. It wasn't an option. It was a priority. You've made it an option. You haven't surrendered that over. You still hold on to your finances like, like it's yours. You, you haven't surrendered that. You're guarding your kids like you're the one. Listen, kids are a gift from God and they're his, not yours anyways. In the reality, don't get me wrong, they are yours. You kind of, you had an act in making them, but God made them. Enough said there. (laughs) We sing this song this morning. From the moment I get up to the moment I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God. No, we don't. You go out and complain. You ain't singing the goodness of God. (laughs) We sing a song. The stand. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. With my hands in my pockets, I don't really believe what I'm singing. (laughs) We laugh awkwardly because we know it's true. (laughs) Where are you in your worship? What I love about you guys, this this service in particular, how loud you sing. You gotta move. We got a lot of empty seats in the front. You gotta move up front and just hear it. It's pretty cool. May it be a place of our heart that truly believes in the words we sing. Here I am, down on my knees again. Surrendering all, surrendering all. You were never on your knees to begin with. And you're surrendering only what you want to surrender. I love you. We can't avoid the truth, can we, church? But God, we don't have to stay there. But God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. I think some of this is so critical because God is a holy God and we have to take holiness and sin seriously. 
Look at what 2 Corinthians 7.1 says. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing, what's that word? Bringing what? Holiness to completion in the fear of God. This idea of holiness is that God cannot stand sin. He is a holy God, and we are to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ on the path of holiness, to allow sin to be chiseled out of our lives. First Peter says this, First Peter 1, 15 and 16, but as the one who called you is holy, God is holy. You also are to be holy in all your conduct. Not just parts, but all of it. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That is the God that we serve. You also are to be holy in all your conduct. Everything we do, we should be walking the way of Jesus. As disciples of Christ, that is our goal, to walk that way, to become like our master. And our master has his name. He is the son of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. That is who we go. And you and I can do this. Why? Lean into this. This is the truth, and I love it. We are holy because we have been forgiven, justified, and redeemed by Christ Jesus. Whoo! You don't have to say the same anymore because of what Jesus Christ did. That's the good news of the gospel right there, summed up. Take a picture. Tell your friends. Go shout it. Go, I forgot the rest of the lyrics. (laughs) Something about the mountains, right? Go shout it from the mountains. Yeah, something, right? Are we doing that? Woo, all right. Okay, real quick, before we jump in, and I'm gonna close, I promise. It's dangerous to be soft on sin. It's so ugly. It ruins our lives. And listen, there's no such thing as cheap grace. Jesus Christ died for that. And now you can walk in victory. You can walk in his victory by the empowerment of God's presence, the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's the danger. We believe that we can behave in a manner clearly not sanctioned by God and get away with it. It's not that bad, is it? If sin opposes God, it's that bad. Don't justify your way out. You're already covered. Now we just got to walk in it. Here's the rest of Acts. It's so fun. This is a fun verse. It's difficult. I realize some of you are like, oh my gosh, this made the Bible. Yes, because it's awesome and it's inspired by God. Wasn't it yours all this? Yeah, you have not like. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead and a great fear came on the whole, all who heard. Oh good, what do you do with that? Right? What, you lie? God's gonna strike you dead? Do you see how this is a very difficult verse? If this was always the case, that God strikes people dead when we lie, this this room would be half filled next week. This would be half of your last Sunday. (laughs) So you're like, oh. (laughs) The idea is here, God, a holy God, takes sin seriously. And then it continues. It will happen. Three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, comes in. She has no idea 
that her husband lied and deceived and is dead. And knowing what happened, tell me, Peter asked her, he's given her a chance. Did you sell this land for that price? Did you sell it? This is your chance. Come clean. And she says, yep, sold it for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who had buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Whoa. Whoa. What are we to do with all of that? Here's a big takeaway. And worship team, you're gonna make your way up. Worship mixed with hypocrisy is dangerous. Worship mixed with hypocrisy is spiritually dangerous. This is the wrong place to play games. It's the wrong place to pretend and you can look at scripture and realize you, you would literally think, man, it seems like a little bit of an overreaction on God's part. Like It seems like, wow, that almost seems like God of the Old Testament. Listen, God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. We got to stop with this Old Testament. New, it's all God. But I know this, when God shows up and that place was shaken to the core and the presence and spirit of God was there when God shows up things move and God is not a cosmic teddy bear he is the lion of Judah who takes sin seriously God is our friend. We are told in scripture, Jesus is our friend. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. But know this, he is king and he is Lord. And I know, I warned you from the get-go, this was not going to be the most fun jumping message you've ever heard me say. But this is more necessary. Because when God comes close to the church, sin is disciplined. And we don't do those things. The prophet Isaiah, he gets this encounter of the throne room. And his encounter of seeing the holiness of God His response in Isaiah 6, verse 5, he says this, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. Some translations say that Isaiah says, I'm damned. He realizes the holiness of who God is, that he's so set apart that sin cannot exist with him. He says, whoa, I'm damned and ruined. We serve a holy, omniscient, almighty God 
who hates sin because it is opposed to him and his character and who he is. We can't tread and flirt with sin. It will destroy us. But God, thank you, God, for sending Jesus Christ to cover our sin so we can be made right with you. Thank you, God. In verse 11, that whole story ends this way, and I've got three different translations up on the screen. The CSB says, then great fear came on the whole church and on all those who heard these things. The NIV says, great fear seized them, it gripped them. This is, by the way, outside of Jesus speaking about the church three times, only recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the first time the word church, ecclesia, is used, which means it's the called out assembled ones. It's the first time it's used here. He says, great fear seized the church. They realize that worship with hypocrisy is spiritually dangerous. I love what the message translation says, or paraphrase. It says, they had a healthy respect for God. They knew God was not to be trifled with. Sin is out, and it will destroy. But God, here's my three closing things. Know this, God delights to draw close to you. You never have to clean up your act to come to God. You know why? Because you can. That's why we need Jesus Christ, his son, to cover us and forgive us of our sins. But he delights to draw close to you, to say, child, son, daughter, you're walking that way. That is a road of destruction. Let me meet you, and I want to bring you to the path of life. The second thing skip over these verses. The second thing is this, a lack of holiness in your life. Holy living, set apart. This is not optional. It is our calling as Christ's followers to live holy lives. It could keep you from seeing God work in your life. And God's heart is to see his move and his spirit move in your life. But the lack of holiness and holy living in our lives can cause a barrier between us and him. And he's like, please, child, please, daughter, please, son, come back. Let's go together. Let's go together. For the writers of Hebrews says this, pursue peace with everyone and what, friends? Holiness. Watch, without it, no one can see the Lord. And here's my last one. It is dangerous. It's a dangerous thing spiritually to live a double life. Please hear me. I'm not talking about living the perfect life. But I'm talking about one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus and thinking I'm good. Because it's an all-in moment. That's why Jesus says, listen, the way to me, it's a narrow path. The way to destruction is wide but my spirit will guide you in this path and this is the path that leads to life oh it's so dangerous so I'm going to ask you a question that we always close on 
And we try to close every message with this question. And you guys know it if you come here. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? So just take a moment and we're going to sit in this question. Ask Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Is there something that needs to be confessed or repented of? Holy Spirit, would you reveal where I, I'm walking destruction and not to holiness? Let's just take a moment and sit in this question. Ask Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? God, it's at times we realize when revival happens, revival is turning our hearts back to you and inflamed by you. It's a heart set again on fire. And revival can be like judgment day sometimes where you convict us and show us, but God, you are a God that never leaves us there. You're a God that is always pointing us to truth and the path of righteousness and the path of holiness. May we be a people that receives that gentle correction in our lives. Holy Spirit, you always point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be responsive. May the flesh stop ruling and we be a people who walk by the Spirit, who live by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit. May we be those people, not people led by the flesh or led by the world or what we desire because sometimes we have corrupt desires, but may we be a people surrendered all in, Spirit-filled people in this room today and those watching online may we be that may we be people that will truly worship you not with hypocrisy in our heart but something that we truly mean from the depths of our spirit from the depths of our soul that we want to hear you holy spirit we want to worship you because there is nothing else this world can ever satisfy our soul only you jesus only you jesus may we be those people May we be people of the way of Jesus Christ. Help us. For you are a God that will never leave us nor forsake us. You're a God that will help us and guide us. So Lord God, I pray right now that you would stretch us. Stretch where we need stretching. Show us where we got off course. And it will not be in our own strength and might to get back on course. It will be be because of the same power that rose our Savior, Jesus Christ, from that tomb, now lives in us. May we lean and be transformed by you, Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Isn't God's word good? Even if it's tough, 
He is a good God who loves us. Amen.